Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, we are joined by Martin Aguinness, Product Marketing Manager at Google, who's going to give us a little bit of a look into what the role of product marketing is there and what he's learned along his career. Welcome, Martin. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. First, tell me a little bit about your and the listeners, a little bit about your journey into becoming a product marketing manager. Sure. So, um, yeah, I'm Martin McGinnis. I've been doing marketing for quite some time now um, because I've always been fascinated by how products are marketed. Uh, I think it's because I've just been very involved in, as a user, as many of us, in different types of products. And so, you know, um, I've always been a very curious person. And growing up, I tried starting several businesses myself. And I remember, you know, the part that was most interesting to me was actually connecting whatever it was I was building or whatever it was I was trying to sell to the end users. And so I've always had that sense of curiosity of how can I reach people or make sure that we're building the right product um, for the right users. And I think that that kind of brought me to a career in marketing, um, as well as to many of the startups that I got involved with before Google and now um, doing marketing at Google. So that's kind of where my journey has taken me. Awesome. So one of the things that we hear a lot at Pragmatic Institute when we talk to different companies and different people who are in product marketing, that that definition of what product marketing is and kind of what is the 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 universe that they control with an organization changes a bunch, sort of department to department and certainly company to company. Can you tell us a little bit about that role at Google and what areas of sort of the product lifecycle and go-to-market journey that you and your team focus on? Certainly. So we've all heard of the saying, build a great product and users will come, right? But I think this is a complete myth and urban legend, especially in 2019, <laughs> right? It helps to have a great product, but it's so critical to be able to connect it to the right user. Because a lot of times, you know, if you don't have a strategy, then users will come on their own terms or with their own perceptions or, you know, maybe with some luck. Uh, so I think that the way Google defines marketing and product marketing is actually a much more accurate representation because uh, it essentially know the user, know the magic, connect the two. So in other words, know your product, know who the users are, and connect them. And it's the marketer's role to make that connection. And I think that's where the really interesting part comes in. And so we've seen a lot of products in the past, like Vine, for example, it was a great you know social media and video platform, and that's gone. Um, Google Inbox, I was a huge user, and that's also gone. And I always joke that, you know, Blockbuster used to be the best, but it's not here anymore, right? And a lot of those were really great products. And a lot of them did have strategies to reach users, right? But um, it's up to us, product marketers, to ensure we're not just building great products, but also the right products and connecting them to the right users. And so that's kind of how Google defines it. And that's how I see my career. And when I do marketing, that's kind of what the tagline or the vision that I see for our product as well. And I think that's so true. I, I agree with you 100% that it's a myth that great products sell themselves. Uh, and But Google has some great products, right? And so, and and some uh, a huge number of users. So let's talk a little bit about those users that you do market to and what maybe makes them different and makes that challenging. Yeah, I mean, when I first joined Google, one of the best advice I got from my first manager was that, you know, it's your job as a marketer to take a product further than it would go by itself. Right, because if you just put a Google brand behind any product, it'll naturally get a lot of people. 
Um, you know, I could upload a very bad video of myself describing <laughs> any product. But if I upload it on the Google channel, I guarantee you to get a lot more views than an amazing video on my personal channel, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's, a lot of it is thinking about um, how are we, you know, as marketers shaping the way products are perceived um, and also the Google brand is perceived. So we've seen a lot of excellent campaigns Google-wide. Um, for example, one of my friends was uh, the girl behind the Home Alone campaign last year where Google, the assistant, essentially redid the Home Alone uh, uh, series uh, using the assistant. And, um, you know, it was wonderful because they actually used, uh, you know, Kevin McAllister in the commercial itself. And it was a really friendly and playful way in the holiday season to actually bring back not just the assistant, but 90s nostalgia and really show uh, a lot of people how the assistant fit into that. And I thought that was a brilliant example of how we had a great product, but marketing was used in a very smart way to bring home literally that that <laughs> thought and that uh, product to people, right? So that's one example um, of one I've seen within Google. Uh, me specifically, I currently lead marketing for a product we have called Flutter. And Flutter is Google's UI toolkit to create apps for iOS, Android, and the web from one code base that are fully native. So you no longer have to build apps for separate code bases or with separate teams when they basically look the same at the end, you can actually make it all in one place with Flutter. And so it saves companies and, and brands a ton of time and money and ultimately achieving a similar result. So that's the product I currently work on. And, um, you know, I'm targeting developers, which is a very tough market to reach as a marketer because developers, you know, without zeros and ones, <laughs> you know, they, they don't want you to have all this flop in campaigns. A lot of times, a lot of developers want me to get right to the point, right? So that's been a very interesting journey marketing flutter to them. And, and to your point, it's a totally different market than what you're going for with the home products, right? And and that Home Alone campaign, which I remember very fondly, it doesn't speak quite to them the same way, right? They're thinking, give me bullet points, give me some of those things. And I actually think sometimes as a marketer, that's particularly hard at that kind of audience because we appreciate as marketers, the wrapping, right? We are impressed by a strong campaign and the right work choices and some of those creativity and the nostalgia pieces. And so we naturally kind of, we lean towards those, right? Like that, oh, that one's going to be great because it it just meets with what our needs are. But but your job is, of course, to focus on what your users want, which could be very different. Definitely. I mean, when I think of, you know, my users, developers, a lot of people hear the word developer and they think of someone sitting in their computer in their basement with no windows trying to hack into <laughs> government code, right? But that's not who developers are, right? They're just like us. They want to solve problems, create solutions, help others using the best tools at their disposal. But as we mentioned, they're a really hard audience for several reasons, especially because their switching cost is actually really big, right? If you think about developers, they're very tied to the tools and programming languages that they currently use through habit, but also through their emotions. So I sometimes tell my friends that, you know, telling a developer to switch to a different tool or try something new sometimes can be like telling your, you know, friend who's been practicing on, on her Yamaha guitar uh, or Fender guitar for the past 10 years to switch to a brand new one for their upcoming concert, right? Even if the new instrument objectively may have a little bit better sound, you're already so habitually and emotionally tied to your instrument that it can be a very, very hard thing to do. So that's definitely something to think about. And that's also why when marketing to a top audience like developers, you know, home alone commercial with a lot of, you know, great emotional senses might still not be the trick, right? You might have to kind of break some of those traditional marketing frameworks when thinking about those different audiences. Are there things that you've 
learned or uncovered as you've worked with developers as a tough market that you think would help others regardless of their market? Absolutely. Um, I recently gave a uh, keynote at the Product Marketing uh, Summit here in San Francisco, and I talked about five different ways to market developers uh, from zero to one. And I think one of the focuses was that I believe that a lot of these tactics can actually extend beyond the developer market to several markets, because I think, you know, uh, when you are marketing to developers, uh, if you can get it right with them, it's like, you know, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere, right? And I feel that way sometimes with this market because they're tough. You know, a lot of times it's just really not easy. I joke around with my team that if, you know, developers don't know that there's a marketer on the team, and I'm probably doing a good job, right? But um, some of these lessons I do think are really applicable to, to others. And for example, I'll call one out, which is let them tell your story. Um, so a lot of times, instead of actually brute forcing or trying to launch your own marketing campaign, you know, developers have amazing stories. And, you know, a lot of times I feel companies focus a lot on what the apps they're creating are or what is the end result without realizing how amazing their journey with developing the tool itself was. So that's an insight that I took into a campaign I recently launched called My Flutter Story, which essentially encouraged people all over the world to submit videos on how they're using Flutter and how they're developing the app and make the focus more on their stories rather than the apps themselves. And we actually ended up getting submissions from over 50 different countries. And we put together a video compilation of these stories, you know, someone from uh, Nigeria, someone from Tokyo, someone from Sydney. And it was really beautiful to see this whole community come together. And we ended up showing the video at our launch event last year. So that's a big insight, I think, is letting others tell your story. Sometimes just giving a very basic rule, like, hey, submit videos using these specs, uh, telling your story can go a very long way. But I think where you made the point that if they don't know there's marketing, that's a win with developers. I think you also are accurate that that sort of peer endorsement, peer conversations uh, are powerful with every group. So what's another one? What's another one of your five? Absolutely. I mean, along those similar lines, uh, another one is how do you now take this community and not just tell them, you know, have them tell your story, but also actually set up a fun contest for them. And that's something we did. So we set up a competition called Flutter Create, where in under five kilobytes of code, which is less than half a second of an MP3 file to put in perspective, we asked developers to create any app with Flutter as long as it met that specification. And so essentially, we've created some of those rules, but we let the community run with it and see what they made. And we ended up getting over 750 submissions across 60 different countries. And the grand prize winner was a self-taught developer from China who I actually met last week in Shanghai. And he learned Flutter three weeks before the contest ended. So we ended up even writing a story about that. And that got tweeted out by that Google handle and, uh, you know, Google-wide endorsed. So it was really amazing to see not just all these communities coming together around the world to build the, uh, for these platforms, but Google as a company actually taking the story and publicizing it Google-wide to uh, inspire people, developers and non-developers alike, through it. So I thought that was a very interesting uh, lesson as well. Oh, and not only do you have the contest, which is always a fun driver, but both of those, uh, both together and separate, also start to build up a community, right? You have a, a group of of users and there becomes part of something they can belong to, which I think would also be a powerful effect across markets and across user groups. Absolutely. I mean, something I talk a lot about is how do you curate for the 99%? Because at the end of the day, regardless of what product you're marketing, you're essentially probably never going to meet 99% of the people that use the product or the service in person. So, but 
a lot of times we use events and conferences to reach these people, yet they're not there. So how do you curate for them? How do you ensure that you're still reaching the, the market that you're trying to reach? And so something that I really thought about for Flutter, for example, is, you know, we had a launch event, for example, with 250 people in the venue, but that is less than 0.01% of all the people we wanted to reach. And so what we ended up doing, speaking along the lines of the community that you just brought up, is we set up viewing parties around the world in 85 different countries. We had 152 different viewing parties where developers can get together, you know, find one locally near them and actually discuss and live stream the event together and have different sessions and code labs and discussions as well so that kind of bringing a community aspect of the event. But not only that, we actually tailored the event itself to the virtual attendees. So we had a pre-show where I would interview people from the team and exclusive content that even people at the event didn't get to see but everyone watching online before the keynote could speak. And then we had a live show right after the keynote where we took questions from Twitter online live so that anyone watching online can also feel a part of it and get their questions answered live. So again, curating events for the online attendee, I think is really important, especially as you build up these communities. You got to think about how do you reach them, not just those few folks that are lucky enough to be there in person. That's a great way of extending event and extending the reach beyond just the physical there. Um, and I love that idea of thinking of the 99%, the ones you may never meet. How else can they experience these types of things? All right. Give us another one. These are great. I mean, you know, one of the first ones that a lot of people don't think of is focusing on the non-sexy. And the reason I say it like that is because at the end of the day, 90% of marketing is they're not sexy. It's, you know, a lot of the hard groundwork that my friends will look at what I'm doing and they see me sometimes giving talks or doing these fancy videos and they, you know, think that I'm just yeah, having fun all day. And I definitely am. But on the other hand, you know, I love that image of a uh, glacier where you see the 10% of the top is what you actually see, but you don't see the 90% of the groundwork that needs to happen or for that to occur. And I'll give you an example is a lot of times we are so in the weeds with trying to market a product that we forget about some of the clear messaging or very fundamentals that are more important uh, to do before all the fancy things. And that's something that I, you know, was a victim of when I joined Flutter was I really kind of hit the ground running and started diving deep into all these features. And I, then I realized taking a step back that there's actually no clear asset describing what Flutter is. So you can go on the site and it's very explanatory to the detail for developers, but if someone just wants to know very clearly what it is, there's not any video or descriptor of that. So I actually ended up taking a step back and taking a few weeks to really just script uh, introducing Flutter video. And we launched that video and actually ended up getting 1.6 million views. So it got the most views out of any video Google developers released that year. And it was an incredible realization for us, which is that even though to our team, you know, everyone knew what Flutter was and we were under that assumption, a lot of times you do need to take a step back and focus on the non-sexy and just do something that's very clear and basic because that can go a very long way in, in describing things. And another example of this is one of the first apps that launched with Flutter was the Hamilton Musical app. That was actually our first external brand to use Flutter. And I remember for three or four months, that's all we would talk about. You know, I would base our entire strategy off one musical. But uh, the team started getting saturated with it, and they started saying, you know, oh, let's just start talking about another another app, although I love the musical, so I definitely didn't get sick of it. But the interesting part was, you know, we decided to, even though we talk about it a lot, still do a case study video six months later about this. And, you know, again, thinking about 99%, most people didn't actually know that Flutter and Hamilton were partners. And because we did that video, a lot more people found out about it. And even though it 
might have felt repetitive to us, we all knew about the story already. It was introduced to most of the world through this case study video. So repurposing things or taking a step back and really thinking about how you're presenting information, even if it's already obvious to you, I think is one of the biggest realizations as a marketer. Please tell me you use the line, I want to be in the app where it happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I've used any other puns, but I might have to steal that one. From you. <laughs> um, I think that's a really good point. And I actually also think it's a really good point that you have to keep doing this because I think when you're new, you come in with all the, the basic questions. And so you're like, why aren't the basic questions there? And we actually just went through this at ours where we we have a, a great team and, and we've got a seasoned team. And all of a sudden we looked at it and went, whoa, like, because we know those basics and we know those pieces, you start to add the other things or you start to move a little bit away from it and you you lose some of that core story and core messaging. And you've got to kind of reground yourself in that. Um, and I think you have to do it somewhat regularly, somewhat periodically to go and look at it and be like, okay, are, are we covering the core pieces? Are we being strong enough in describing those items or have we gotten, uh, you know, to your point, tired of the own messaging and moving on to something else? I mean, absolutely. And you think about, I mean, that's why usability studies and also talking to your users consistently is important, especially if you think about when you're crossing the chasm, right? Because you have all your early adopters, but then all of a sudden, all this new wave of folks now need to be introduced again at the beginning to your product. And so even though a lot of the people you've already been speaking with or a lot of the current customers might be more advanced, you now have to re-curate and revisit some of those early documents or early introductions to your product to make sure they're still relevant to the early adopter or, or early majority wave of people that are coming in as well. So I think that's exactly right. Especially because so many of the people you actually interact regularly are not your brand new adopters, but those who are just more active with your brand. And so they you start to see in them knowledge of the basics and also skip ahead with them. And I think that, again, gets reflected in our, our external positioning and messaging. Do you have time to share another one? Sure, I can share one more. I think, uh, actually, this week, I'm launching a brand new showcase on our website. Um, I think a lot of times, storytelling is the key to marketing. And a lot of those stories we find through our developers and through the brands that are using Flutter. And so I mentioned the Hamilton case study. At this point, I've done six or seven other case studies with companies like and brands like Adira Studios, Tencent, Alibaba, Dream11, and India. And it's really important not just to do these videos or stories, but keep circulating them to your communities. Because as we mentioned, a lot of people might not have found these stories, but it's helpful for them when they're thinking about a product like Flutter to see other use cases and testimonials. And so using that concept, I think it's really important to think about what partnerships or stories can you really drive forward. And not just about big brands, but also specific developer stories, too. So showing the human aspect of this and how it saves people time. Um, and so one, you know, abstraction from this lesson beyond just having the actual uh, uh, showcase page is also a lot of times when you have new features you want to announce or new product updates, leading those with a customer or with a use case or story is a lot more powerful than just announcing the feature without anything. So if you look at uh, the Google I.O. 2019 keynote, um, we actually announced Flutter running on the web for the first time, a technical preview of that. So essentially, you can take the same code you build for building your mobile app, and you can apply it to the web. But instead of just announcing that, we actually partnered with the New York Times, and we showed how they use their, build their new 1010 puzzle app using Flutter on mobile and the web together. And leading with that brand and instantly gave us that sense of credibility that, wow, there's this big brand already using this feature. So clearly, it's been really well established rather than just announcing the feature. So I think that's 
definitely a good lesson, which is form those early partnerships in order to drive some of your features forward. Well, there's both the credibility of that brand. And then to your point as well, it's a proof point that the the new feature is a proven feature, which is sometimes we get ourselves in a circle where you announce a new feature and everyone's like, well, I bet it still has lots of bugs. I'll wait. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. I mean, it's so important to have to have those expectations, right? So we announced the technical preview of Flutter running on the web. We didn't announce the 5.0 version. <laughs> <laughs> we want to make it very clear that this is not something you're going to grab and then one day have a perfect web app. But on the other hand, even having that partnership, but then keeping expectations low with the current technical preview, I think is a good combination. Great. All right, Martin, you shared lots of great tips. You shared lots of great insights. Um, I know you're about out of time, but if you could just boil it down to two things that you want sort of your fellow product marketers, you'd suggest they think about differently based on what we talked about today, what would that be? Yeah, so I think one is think about curating for the 99%. Think about how you can reach the people that aren't in the room with you or in the room where it happens, as Hamilton would say, <laughs> because there are so many people out there that can benefit from your product. Um, and secondly, you know, again, uh, I mentioned this with developers, but really focus on the human aspect of a product or a story and the real impact, not just end results. Because I think when you do that, it really adds how genuine your product is really affecting others. And I think that can go a very long way. Great. Thank you, Martin, for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Really appreciate your insight. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. <laughs>